Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Boy, it's great to see you. We want to welcome our students that are back. Uh, We are glad that you are back at school. And so we want to say welcome to you and to all of our parents that are back from all of your vacating this summer. We are are glad to have you too. And all the parents are loving it because why? Your kids are back in school, right? Yes. We have a few that are wooing and the others are crying, but yeah, that's okay. At some point, the woo will overcome the cry at some point in life. But we are glad that you're here this morning, and I'm excited about sharing with you from the book of Luke, chapter 11, and starting at verse 37. So if you have a Bible, take it and open up to Luke, chapter 11, verse 37, or on your device, and follow along with us for the next few moments as we talk about this subject of relationship or religion within our lives. We're in a non-series time right now. We are preparing to start our fall series and winter series coming up in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to tell you about that in a few moments. But I want to say I missed you last week, and I missed being here, and, some, and I know Travis did a tremendous job as he talked about the cross and the propitiation of Christ in our life, that is, that he is, became the sacrifice of substitution for us upon the cross, such a powerful topic that he covered. But last weekend was mine and Reba's 40th wedding anniversary, it was, yes, yeah, 40 years. That applause is for her. She is working her way towards sainthood. Is exactly what she's doing. Yes, being married to me is definitely uh, should qualify for that at some point. But uh, I want to say thank you. And uh, she is serving in Hope Kids this morning right now. She'll be here second service. But I, I love her so much after 40 years. She is just an amazing lady. God has blessed me so powerfully. She's so strong and she's so smart that she, she just makes somebody like me so dumb seem so smart. And so I, I just am so thankful for her within my life. So today, in, as we talk about this topic of relationships or religion, there are three big ideas. I always give you some big ideas before we begin so you can kind of have some bearing as to what we're going to talk about for the next few moments. The first is this, having a relationship with Christ and religion are not the same thing. Now we're going to define religion in a moment, so don't get all crazy about this for a moment. They're not the same thing. The second is this, that religion tells us to hide and a relationship leads us to reveal. This is where we get a little nervous sometimes in our humanity. The the third is this, the essence of our relationship with Christ is that He fully knows us. This is the one I like the most. He fully knows us, and He still loves us. And that's such a powerful statement about our relationship with Him. And so what we find here, we find in this narrative in Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 37, we find this narrative that there's this meal that Jesus is sitting down to. And so I begin to read it, and I'll explain to you in a moment. It says this in Luke 11 and 37. It says, while Jesus was speaking... A Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. When you begin to read the book of Luke, what you find is Luke loved to record dinner conversations because sometimes they're the best, they are, and sometimes they're the worst. And, and so he, in fact, of the six dinner conversations that Luke records, this is one of them. And so verse 38 says this, And the Pharisee was astonished to see that, speaking of Christ, that he did not first wash before dinner. And, and, you know, how much more relational can you get than sitting down for a meal with someone? It's very relational that you're sitting in proxim- close proximity to them. You're breaking bread with them. You are, you know, sitting at the same table together, that, that you are having conversation, that you can't really sit at a meal without having some kind of conversation with one another. And, and so it's an amazing relational type setting that we find. Now, here's my thought about family meals. 
family meals can be sometimes very, uh, very encouraging and they can be very discouraging at times, you know? Because think about at a family meal, you get all your family together, especially like at Thanksgiving, and you sit down and you have this discussion at the table. But sometimes there's rules for discussion at the table when you have your family together. There is. There are normally two topics that you don't discuss when you have all of your family together, right? So somebody tell me what is one of those topics? Politics, and what is the other? Religion, yes, it's politics. Those are the two that you just don't, why don't we discuss those things? Because we've become so passionate and sensitive about both of them. But you said, but Mark, these are the two hot topics of our culture, always have been, probably always will be, that of politics and religion. And so that's why when we discuss them, sometimes we never come to an agreement in the end of the discussion about those things. So should we avoid them? And I would say to you this morning, no, that we should not avoid them. We shouldn't. Recently, um, someone in our neighborhood, and, and I don't think they're here. If you're here this morning, then I love you and thank you for inviting us. But they invite us to their home, and they specifically said, here's the reason we're inviting you into our house. We want you to come over because we want you to discuss two things with us. Guess what it is? Politics and religion is exactly what they said. And they said, and we want to discuss this over a glass of wine with you is what they wanted to discuss it with, is what they said. And I thought that was kind of funny because in our political environment, it's going to take a whole lot more than wine. I do believe, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and so it, because of the environment that we currently live in, absolutely. This summer, Reva and I had the opportunity to spend some time in Washington, D.C., and we were down in Washington downtown, and we were right outside the White House, and we watched all the interesting people that gather there every day to express their opinions about certain topics and issues in our country. And so we begin to see people like there's one guy there that had a keyboard and he had speakers. He's playing a keyboard, wearing a guitar, and he has a drum, a bass drum right next to him. And he's singing his grievances about our government. I thought that was interesting, you know. It's better than a sign. His gift is not singing, but he was trying anyway. So he was singing that. Yes, I thought it was kind of funny. And then over on one side were these people. They had signs and they support the... Now, this is not a, a political statement of mine, but yet it's just what I saw. They're supporting the current immigration policy, so they have their signs up. And then there's people on the other side of this group, and and they're holding up signs, and their signs say racist president. And so I thought, this is going to be very interesting, you know, because at some point, these two groups are going to collide, right? And then what's going to happen when they collide with each other? What's going to happen? And, and you said, but Mark, you know, what were you doing? Were you praying that God would protect them or whatever? No, I was, I was just kind of watching to see what was going to go down is what I was going to do, you know? It, it, was like, it was like going to the WWF, you know, this, we call it in the South wrestling, you know, kind of deal. I thought, you know, a match was going to break out. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I saw these two groups come together and I saw them have a peaceful, civil conversation and shake hands and walk away because they didn't come to an agreement in this area of politics. I thought that was extremely interesting for me. That you can have these discussions without war, but you're never comfortable discussions to have about those subjects, and especially that of, that of religion. So here's Jesus. Man, he's sitting at the table with his Pharisee, yeah? And he doesn't avoid the tough conversation of religion. He doesn't do it. In fact, in fact, he just kind of rips the band-aid off. That's the way he does sometimes, you know. He just kind of pounces in with both feet into this conversation with this Pharisee. And, and it's not that what he starts out saying, 
but it's what he starts out not doing that gets the attention of the Pharisee because he doesn't wash before the meal. Why is that so important to the Pharisee? Is this about germs and physical cleanliness? No, it's not at all. It's about the ritual, ritual purity before God. It's that the Pharisee thinks that somehow that when you wash your hands that you somehow cleanse your heart. So what that outward work in your life does, it makes some kind of spiritual implication upon your heart. And so I wrote this question out. Is it possible to have a clean, to have clean hands and yet retain an unclean heart? Is it possible to have clean hands and yet retain an unclean heart? And so here is the thing. That's exactly where this dinner discussion goes with Jesus and the Pharisee. Is exactly where it is. Because what Jesus does in his discussion with him, he draws this contrast between that of relationship and religion. Because Jesus' words move far beyond that of just washing hands. Jesus' words move to simply that of the condition and the issues of our heart. This is a perfect segue for our fall and winter series. Because this year, starting in a couple of Sundays, that we're going to be teaching through the book of John together, the Gospel of John. It's such a powerful book. But what does this have to do with relationships? Well, it has everything to do with it. Because John, the beloved, perhaps the closest disciple to Christ, he writes the book of John from a very different point than what Luke would write about Jesus. Luke is a historian, so his writings are very detailed and sometimes somewhat mechanical. What we find in the book of John, it's written like a friend. He observes Jesus as a friend in his life, understanding who he is, but yet they have a great friendship. And it's an understanding of a greater, uh, a greater realization of the character and nature of God through the life of Christ and through that relationship. What happens for you and I through the book of John together? That it leads to us trusting God to be transparent to him in our lives and trusting God to, to be obedient in what he has called us to do, and through that transparency, through that obedience, and through that trust, oh, what it does in my life and your life, it brings real freedom for us. Because here's the thing about religion. Religion in, is, the, is the ultimate divergence to relationship. It's completely opposite of what we say about having a relationship with God. Let's read on. So here's the discussion. It's very interesting. Here's what he says in verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup. Now you've been wondering why I have the giant coffee cup over here, right? You've been wondering, man, could I really take down that much coffee at one setting? You probably could, but then you would have to be restrained afterwards, right? Exactly. Yes. So here is the thing. He said, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and you are full of wickedness. And then he says, you fools. Now, if you're sitting down with someone at the table for dinner and all of a sudden you look at him and say, you fool, it's going to make the conversation awkward, is it not? Yes. And so you think Jesus is rude. But if you look at the context of what Jesus means when he uses the term, he means that you're blind to the things of God. You're missing it. You've missed the point that you focus so much on all of the all of the shadows, so to speak, that someone once said that you have missed the very substance of what walking with God is all about. So he says this, you fool, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? He established himself as being the creator, but give as alms those things that are within and behold everything. And behold, everything is clean for you. And what he says is this, you give to the poor, you take care of the unfortunate. And I see that as God, I see that. 
But you need to pay as much attention to your heart as you do to those that are unfortunate in your life. And so when you look at this thing, you think, man, nobody's digesting their meal really well here, are they? No. There's a lot of indigestion going on. There's a lot of squirming in the seat taking place. So here is the first thought. What are Jesus' thoughts concerning religion? And boy, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He's very straightforward, yes. But I think before we answer that, we have to define what we're talking about. So what is, what is religion? What is, what is that? Let me define that by first telling you what I'm not talking about this morning. Please don't confuse religion with religious church history, because that's not what this is about. This is not about a church trashing kind of session. That's not, that's not what it's about at all. Religion is a work of the heart or an absence of the work of our hearts. This is exactly what religion is. Jesus already set this discussion by the what he did or what he did not do when he came to the meal by not washing his hands. This is about hearts and this is about hands, he's simply telling us. But it seems to be in this culture, sometimes in our culture, which I am part of, that we try to erase that of uh, religious or church history as somehow that that is the core of all of our problems or all our spiritual struggles. But when we come back to what Christ is, it's our heart. Our heart is our own worst enemy at times within our lives. It's our heart that's the core of our problems. Yes. And you say, but, but the church hurt me at some point. And I'm not devaluing that. We've all somehow, going to church, we felt the pain of others that make up the church. Understand? But it comes back to the heart of those that make up the church. But here at Hope, as many other churches do, we value church history. We do. We value church historians like Josephus or Fox. We value our forefathers in the church like Martin Luther or John Calvin or John Wesley or Jonathan Edwards, that we place great value in those things. So that's not what we're talking about. But some people would define religion as this. It's man trying to get to God man's way, is what it is. It's the sin of the garden of Adam and Eve. Yes, God says, hey, don't eat of that tree. You got all these other great trees to eat from. Don't eat of the tree. And what does the serpent say? Hey, if you eat of this fruit, you become like God. It's trying to get to God in our own way. Yes, but if we define this in a less academic manner, how does this, how is this played out in my life and your life? I thought of a couple of things. The religion for me in the past, at some point in my life, has been this. It's the avoidance of God's wrath and judgment. It becomes the catalyst of my spiritual life. Yes, that religion is not, religion, um, not relationship. Religion is based upon fear and it's based upon insecurity within our lives. It is. Man, I grew up in the church, you know, and, and I can remember at some point in my life somebody looking at me and saying, do you want to go to hell or not? You know, ever ask that question to somebody, right? Do you want to? Well, let me think about that for a moment, you know? Let me give that some thought. I remember growing up with my mom, and, 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 and you know, I would, I don't know if you've ever rolled your eyes at your mother, you know, kind of deal, right? Yes? Okay, now, you're looking at me like a bunch of saints, okay? So let me take this. In, in your life, how many ever rolled your eyes with your parents when they said something to you? Let me see your hands. Good. Terrific. All the other ones are liars. And so here's the thing, Okay. Yeah, I realized, or I would, we used to call, she used to call it a smirk. I'm not sure what that is. It's the kind of way you twist your mouth, kind of like, mm, you know, and kind of deal. And, and so I did that, and my mother said to me, would you like for me to slap your face off? It's what she said to me, right? 
Now, first of all, I don't condone slapping anyone. It's, it's humiliating, it's degrading, and, and so that if you're slapping your kids, then see me after church because I sure want to slap you. No, no, the thing is that because, no, it is absolutely degrading. Stop that. Repent from that. Okay, there are other ways to discipline. But, but you know, I often thought, you know, let me think about that. Do I want my face slapped off? Or is it absolutely possible for this to happen, you know? I don't know. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? Yes. And so what we do, they say, do you want to go to hell or not? And so we spend our life, we spend our life trying to avoid that is what we do. Yes, it's a seed that's planted in our life from a very young age. And so we spend our life trying to avoid that. And we miss the joy of loving God through grace. And if you spend any time in church, you've been there. You have. We spend our life... Missing the joy of living God in grace through that of that Jesus, as Travis taught last week, is the propitiation of our sin, that you and I are covered. That it's not that about you and I being perfect within our life, but that we are wrapped in his perfection. So my fear every day is not that I'm going to make a mistake, because I realize in my humanity that I am going to make a mistake in my life probably every day. But what I understand is this, that I am wrapped in the perfection of the son Jesus, so God sees me through that perfection of his son today. Yes, that's grace within my life, and that's grace within your life today. That the Father's wrath, motivated by His love for me because He hates the things that harm me, has been satisfied by the life of His Son. So the motivation for me to obey God, the motivation for me to love God in my life, to, to walk according to His teachings, is not fear, but it's love and it's joy. Understand that. Because I know something about God today. I don't know a lot about Him. It's hard for me to understand everything about the God that we serve. But I do know one thing. God is for me. He is not against me. God God is simply has my very best interest at heart that what God has begun in my life, God is going to complete by his power in his love in my life. So I'm not functioning through life continually trying to just avoid hell. No, it's not, it's not that. I'm not getting up every day thinking, oh my, man, if I miss my quiet time, I'm in trouble with God, you know, because I miss my quiet time at 5 a.m. today. Oh my gosh, that, that, you know, if I'm not listening only to Christian music, then, oh, I'm in trouble with God. I'm not as close as I should be with Him. That, you know, that, you know, if I don't cuss only in traffic, because it's okay to cuss in traffic, but if I don't cuss, then, just kidding, okay? All right. <laughs> Uh, don't look at me like you never have, okay? All right, uh, okay? And then, so you say, I don't even know any cuss words. Well, ask your neighbor next to you. They can tell you some, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and I don't attend radar movies unless they're Christian movies, you know, kind of deal, right? And I'm not drinking, and, and so that makes me feel like I'm very close to God and God's close to me. Can I tell you, my relationship with Christ, your relationship with Christ is not, is not predicated on my ability to get it right, But it's on the act of Jesus on the cross that the cross centers us on the, hu- on the humility of our life that simply it's this, that he did everything for us and we brought nothing to the table and he went to the cross because he loves us when we get it right and when we get it wrong. That's it. So I don't live in that fear of simply, you know, that's the motivation of my life is not to miss hell every day. And the other thing I thought about this in, in that of religion is that I see myself in the light of my own goodness and not the goodness of Christ. It, it is. Can, can I tell you something about all of us in this room? And I say this to you in love. 
that we're all stinkers. Did you know that? Yes, we're, every one of us are stinkers. I don't know if you know that or not, really. Yeah, look at the person next to you. Look, just, just turn around and look at them for a moment. You don't have to say anything. You've greeted them. Mark, I'm nervous. You know, they're in my space. And look at them. Do you realize how big of a stinker you're sitting next to? Do you realize that? Do you have any idea what they're thinking right now? No, you don't. I, I, can, can I tell you what they're thinking? They're thinking, they're looking at you going, man, you are a real stinker. You really are. That's exactly what they're thinking. You're thinking the same thing. And the beauty of that is we are. We're bent towards sin. We are. Everyone is, we're motivated by self. We think that we know best. We think that we know best. Yes. So if I just follow the rules, this list of things that God wants me to do, then I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I, I tell you in love today, you are never good. Understand that. Within yourself, you are never good. He is only good. Any goodness in our life today is directly attributed to Christ's work within us. That is good theology. If I just do these things that God has said to do, then God is going to somehow love me more, accept me in a greater way. And the truth of the gospel is this, in relationship with Christ is this, that, hey, the work's already been done. You've already been accepted. That's the beauty of Christ. That you've, and that's grace, isn't it? They were saved by grace through faith. They were saved by grace through faith. Even the faith that we have to embrace the grace that God has given us to cover our sin is a gift of God. What does that mean to you and I? It means that we bring nothing to the table. We bring nothing to the table at all. And if we truly understand grace, if you and I truly embrace that of grace this morning, oh, I want to tell you, it's absolutely almost impossible for you and I to ever judge anybody else in our life if we truly embrace grace. Even... The stinker sitting next to you. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yes, that's amazing. That is. So here's what Jesus does in this meal setting. He gives us this powerful visual of the cup. Yeah. To the, to the Pharisee, the washing, the utensils is everything. In this culture with them, and they take it from Leviticus from the Old Testament, even if a fly drops in a cup on the table at a Pharisee's home, then that table is imme- or that, that cup is immediately removed, it's taken, and it's cleansed, and it's not, not brought back to the table at that setting at all because it's simply about that ritual cleansing. And somehow they believe or they bought into this fact that... Yes, that means that my heart is clean just because my hands are clean. Jesus is not, he's not saying, hey, don't be physically clean. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's addressing their compulsiveness for the external cleanliness at the cost of their own hearts. So what concerns Jesus most about us? What concerns him most about it? Are we getting the list right? Is that what concerns him? Are we looking the part? Is that what concerns him? No, no. Jesus is addressing the heart. He's addressing our relationship with him. He has clear concern for the inside and the outside. He says that as the creator. He's the one that made both. So yes, he doesn't ignore the outside, but he focuses on the heart. Because from the heart, we find that our hands simply move and our hands work. And they do the things that they do. And this is purely relational as only God can change our hearts. Yes, you and I can temporarily make things better in our life. We can adjust our behavior at times. But only Jesus can make the heart new. Only God. So what's the problem then, Mark? Take the cup. Turn it over. Yes, come on. Let God see everything inside the cup that you've been hiding. Let God see everything in there. Yes, and then let God take care of it. Problem solved. 
But that's where we get nervous because we struggle in trusting Jesus. Why? Because we begin sometime in our life, in our walk, in our journey, we begin to run off this religion and not relationship kind of fuel within our lives. Because relationship is based upon trust. Religion is fueled by fear and insecurity. So what, what is God going to think of me if I turn my cup over and I let him see what's inside of it? What are you, what are you hiding from him? That's what this is about. What are you hiding from him? Well, I don't want him to see it because I may be embarrassed if I let God see this in my life as if we can hide anything from the creator. Oh, I feel guilt about what's in my life, so I don't want God to, you know, to know this as if he doesn't already know. You know, I have fear. How will, God, how will God react to the real me if God knows the real me as if somehow there are two of you and God only knows one of you? Right? How... how how, how is everybody else in this room going to feel? How is the stinker sitting next to me going to feel, right? If they really know what I'm hiding this morning. So isn't it just easy to turn the cup over and let God work in our lives? What if we're hiding, what if we're hiding sin? What if that's one thing we're hiding in our life, is we're hiding sin in our life? Okay, this is interactive. I know this is dangerous. This can get really real in here real quick. You know what I'm saying? You know? so, so what I'm going to do is I've, I'm just going to ask, what are, what are some, and I know you could say, well, I'm just asking this for a friend. You know, this is not really me, right? Kind of deal, but, you know, a friend wants to know kind of deal. So what are, some things that, what are some things that we hide from God? Somebody tell me one. What is it? What? Anger. Okay, good. Hang on. You got to let me write this, write this in here. Okay, Okay. we hide anger. Somebody tell me something else. Ah, oh, yeah, that's for a friend. Okay, okay, all right. Unforgiveness, right? Yes, absolutely. They're not here, I know. We'll pray for them. Okay, what, what, what is about something else that we hide from God? Wait, say it again. Stress. Ah, we live in a stress-free world. What are you talking about, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. What about something else we hide from God? Pride, ah, oh, that's that's it. Yeah, pride. Okay, all right. What what else? What what? Who said something? What? Prejudice. Prejudice. All right. Okay. Uh, we know we don't have that problem in our world, right? Yes, rampant. Absolutely. What else? Something else? Greed. Okay. Man, you guys have a lot of issues. You know that? Boy, I'm telling you. Gosh. I'm so glad that we're talking about this today. Oh, shame. All right. Good. I wanted shame in there. Okay. <laughs> I need a bigger cup. <laughs> or a smaller group. No, no, no. I want you here, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Look at it. Yeah, isn't that wild? Look at all of that in there. Sins in the middle, yeah? And all the things that you... T- and, and we could probably go on for another 10 or 20 minutes so you could tell me all these things that we hide from God. And here's the thing. That's where we live. 
it looks good on the outside, doesn't it? I mean, there's not a mark other than I tried to take off the made in China thing on the bow on the bottom there and didn't all come off. But there you go. And that's not a political statement either. So, um, <laughs> I had to say that. Okay. Um, this is where we live. In this moment of distrust with God, because we've failed to build or cultivate our relationship. Say, Mark, what are you telling me? That, that I'm unsaved? No, no. This is not, I'm not telling you that. That's something that you have to decide and you have to understand on your own. And this is not a sermon for you to leave here doubting your salvation. But what I do know is this from my own experience in life is this, that at some point in my life, if I am not, if I'm not cultivating, not working, but if I'm not cultivating my relationship, if I'm not finding my time in scripture like I should, if I'm not desiring and pursuing God through the word like I should, if I'm not praying, if not having a conversation with him, sitting down and having that conversation with God. I'm not saying every morning at 5 a.m., but I'm not having that conversation with him. If I'm not serving others, and if I'm not serving others, then I'm not cultivating that relationship with him. And so because I'm not cultivating that relationship with him, I'm not trusting him with those things in my life. And when I, and those things are going to happen, understand this, because of my sinful nature, those things are going to happen and so here's the thing, because they're happening in my life because of my sinful nature, I'm not trusting him. So it only leads me to one thing. And what is that? I hide them from him. It's a poor attempt to hide. But I hide them from him. It would be like, it's about trust. So it would be like you coming to me after service today in the lobby and, and you saying to me, hey, Mark, uh, can I borrow your car? You know, and I've only seen you at church, pass you in the, in the hallway, say, hey, how you doing? You know, you got beautiful kids or how's school going? Glad you're back or whatever. And you come to me and say, hey, man, can I borrow your car? And, and I look at you and I say, you know what? We haven't had coffee together. I really don't know you. We don't have a relationship. So my answer to you is no. You know, like that, right? That's no. It's not. I'll take you somewhere as long as it's not like three states out of South Carolina. I'll take you somewhere if you want to go, you know, and or we'll get you somewhere wherever you need to go if it's a real dire need within your life but it's no but you let someone like you let someone like david goff sitting down here david stand up for a minute it's been a long time turn around and look at everybody he isn't he handsome look at him okay you 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 you, you get somebody like david goff who i've i've known for years we have broke bread together we've had many cups of coffee together we've hung out together we've done all those kind of things and he says hey can i borrow your car and i'm thinking you know what we built a relationship i trust him so i say what yes Yes. You see, distrust in this relationship with God and I is not a distrust with God because God knows every single thing about you. In fact, God knows the thoughts and he knows the intent of your thoughts. In other words, he knows the very seeds of your thought life. He knows all of those things about you, yet he still loves you. And, and so the trust is not that with God in his relationship with you. The trust is with us. It's our problem. It's our struggle within our own hearts. Why? Because we lack to cultivate that relationship that we need with him. We don't know him. How do you do it? What are you talking about, Mark, in a relationship with God? It's that that I understand his character and his nature, that I know how he feels about me. I know how he react to those issues of my life. And so we go through life Attempting to hide these things from a God that immensely loves us. 
Now I was raised in church. And, and understand this. I know we're in a mixed crowd this morning. I realize that. And, and so there's some of you that today may be your first time in church in a long time or your first time in church ever. And I want to say, man, we are so glad that you're here. Some of you are walking with Christ and you've been walking with him for a while or or, a very long time. We're glad you're here. Some of you are just kicking the tires and checking out Jesus to see if this is a real deal for your life. And I want to say we're so glad you're here. So we're all here struggling with this issue about turning over our cup for so many different reasons. But growing up in church for me, man, I had this intellectual ascent of who God was. I did. I went to Sunday school kind of thing, which was absolutely amazing for me. It was, I was forced to listen to countless sermons, and I used the word forced intentionally because I was. Because as a kid, I just didn't want to be there with some guy up here in a white shirt yelling at me for 30 or 40 minutes. I I didn't want that. I attended a Christian university and hid out there because I thought that was the safest place for me to hide out, hiding all these things for God among Christians because they would just saturate the air around me and God wouldn't see me in the middle of all of them, you know, kind of deal. So I kind of blended in in camo. Yes. And I hid my life from God for years or what I thought I was doing. I didn't trust him because I lacked a relationship with him. Because I didn't understand how he saw me and how he felt about me. The beauty of the redemptive work of Christ this morning is this. It's not our perfection because we're messy. We've already established we're a bunch of stinkers. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, we are. We've established that. But the beauty of our redemptive work with Christ is that the perfect work of the cross, that through the cross, he loves me regardless. And here's the thing I love, that he loves me even while I'm hiding. He loves me even while I'm hiding out from him. Look at verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice. This is really relational. It's in the meal setting. It's not a mechanical existence, but it's very relational. And the love of God that you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He said, do this, but don't neglect loving others and, and loving God is what he says. And can I tell you, I stop here for a pause for a point, And that is that you can't separate. You can't separate loving God and loving others. You cannot separate. They're inseparable. How can you say that? you love God if you don't love the stinker sitting next to you. How can you say that? You can't. And it be truth. You can't. But he says to you, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. The second thought is this, that religion and relationship are nowhere the same thing. Jesus is saying this at the table. He said, hey, you guys have missed this. You've missed this completely. You're players in this production. That's about what you are. But you've missed the substance of what's going on here. Because he ties so tightly in our relationship that of our relationship with him and our relationship with one another in this room. That of our horizontal relationship with others and our vertical relationship with him. They're inseparable is what he says. So the call of God on all of our lives, if you've ever wondered what God has called you to, The call of God on all of our lives is to love him and to respond in love to one another. That's it. Yes, this is not a discourse on people that are not giving to God and not being generous through tithe. No, they're being generous to the temple and they're giving their tithe. They're doing those things that they should be doing, yet they're not caring for and loving for their neighbor. They're not doing that. When you get time... 
Read Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Not right now, but read it later. It simply says how you and I should respond to one another. And that is important that we follow the words that we find in the book of Colossians. But then I was stuck at this point in this text when Jesus says, Woe to you, uh, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and you love the greetings in the marketplace. And, And what that means is simply this. Jesus is talking about their pride. How does, this, how does this connect with you and I loving and caring for one another? Because when we mistreat each other, and when we fail to forgive one another, when we fail to love and care for one another, we forget who we really are, because you and I are nothing apart from Christ. So those feelings that I have toward you when I'm upset with you, or I fail to forgive you, or I fail to care for you, or love you, is simply based on the pride of my life. I'm for, I forgot that I have nothing to bring to the table, that everything I have and who I am is all through Christ. And that humbles me. That gives me fuel to love others around me, even when they do me wrong. Yes, we bring nothing to the table. We're only able to love because he first loved us. Understand that. We're only able to care for one another because he cared so much for us that he went to the cross. We're only able to forgive each other in light of the fact that you and I are forgiven. We're only able to feel the hurts of each other because we have a high priest who is able to feel the feelings of our infirmities. Listen, there's no place for pride when it comes to understanding our redemption in Christ. No place. Later on, I'm giving you a lot of homework today, right? Later on, read Luke 11, 45 through 54. Read that. It's powerful because here's what it says. That religion becomes a wall. It's never a door. It's never a door. The rebuke that Jesus gives these Pharisees here, understand what it is. It's a failure to show mercy and encourage others in their pursuit of Christ. Here's what religion does. It makes the journey to God, and with God, it makes it harsh and it makes it cold. Why? Because it becomes rules and not tools in our lives. That sometimes this obsessive pursuit for what is right leads us in the wrong direction. This journey is a pursuit for Jesus, and it's not about getting every turn in your life right. I have to exhale on that, you know, right? That has to be some relief to someone in the room. You've been wondering, why is my journey so cold? And and why is my journey with God seemingly so harsh in my life? Because it's based upon religion and not that of relationship. Chapter 12, verse 1. We move on. Here's what it says. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus always uses about bread and leaven because that of a little leaven spoils the whole loaf, he said. So be careful about that, which is hypocrisy, he says. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed and hidden or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, and, this, and these verses make us like sweat when we read these things. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, really? And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. That Jesus knows me, yet he still loves me. And when I read this text, the first thought I have is, oh man, this is, this is frightening, right? That, that somehow, that someday when I stand before, the, before God, then what is God going to do? God is going to Google my name. 
is what he's going to do, right? Yeah, Mark Gaskew. Have you ever Googled your name and see how it shows up, you know, kind of deal? And, uh, and I, I did that one time not too long ago, and, and my name shows up in all kinds of obituaries. I don't know why, you know, because I do funerals. That's exactly why, right? I thought, that's not where I want it to be, but whatever, yeah. And so um, he, he, he Googles our name, and then on the screen, every deed of our life, and then we have to stand there, you know, sweating profusely, and we have to give an explanation for everything we've ever done, done wrong in life. And we read this text, and that's what we get. But the problem is that's not what it's talking about. Because if you begin to read this in context, as we're going to read 4 through 7 in a moment, we understand what God is saying to us, that he is simply, he's mapping out what, or he's painting this picture of what our journey with him looks like. Yes. Because if you take all the woes in all these verses, and there's I think six woes here that he gives to the Pharisees, if you take all of them and just take them at face value, they're, very, they're extremely powerful. But what we find right under the surface of all of this, that there's something really powerful that God is showing us. That the greatest woe of all of these, maybe it's woe number seven, but the greatest woe of all of these is not the sins that they're committing, the sins out of wickedness and greed, But it's the hiding of those sins from him that God is addressing. Because religion says hide. Relationship says reveal. How do you do that? And this is where we end. How do you do that? It's based on trust and confidence in who Christ is and how he feels about you. It's your ability to understand something about his character and his nature and who he is. The Gospel of John that we start in a couple of weeks together, oh, this is perfect for this, you know? I encourage you to put it on your calendar, you know, put it on your phone or whatever. If you don't want to come back for the next maybe week or two weeks, uh, then, then that's fine, you know? I, I don't know why. The donuts are great, you know, kind of deal and the coffee's good, right? But yet, yet you know, to, to be back for the Gospel of John with us because it's a journey to about turning our cup over. Why? Because it's about relationship. But as intensely personal as our relationship is with Christ, it is also very, very open. It has to be. It does. There's a text in the book of Matthew, chapter 18 and verse 20, and and it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And we always, you know, if you've ever been in church very long, you've heard people say, well, that's about worship and that's about our gathering together. And I'm not saying that you couldn't use it for that, but contextually, if you read the, those, those texts before it, what you realize, it starts out by simply saying this. It starts out with a verse that if your brother has sin against you, go and tell him. So it's, it's a, actually a text about relationships. It's about relationships. It's about in those moments of honesty within our lives. That God is powerfully present to meet us in those moments. Because the more that you and I try to hide what's in the cup of our life, the more religious we become. And the more religious we become, the more the catalyst of our spiritual walk with God is that if I can just mess hell, you know, then I'm all good. And so our walk with God becomes devoid of any joy. It becomes devoid of any gratitude. It becomes cold. And and it simply becomes rules and not tools in our lives. But what if for a moment, what if for a moment, 
and understanding that God is for us and not against us, that he loves us even when we get it wrong, what if for a moment we turn the cup over? You say, Mark, this would be a great time for you to have like a cloth up here and like you wipe all that stuff off, you know, and it's going to go away and we're going to leave in this state of perfection. No, I cannot tell you. You're going to leave as a stinker, but you're going to leave as a stinker forgiven. Walking in great joy and gratitude. You may make a mistake. Yeah. You may be sitting in a traffic light and somebody doesn't take off in three seconds, you know, a nanosecond when the light turns green. And all of a sudden you had this urge to like, you know, say something and then you praise God, you know, kind of deal, right? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> what if you, just for a moment, took a chance? Mark? Are you really saying that, they, that that's the word you want to use with that of God? Yeah, for some of you this morning who are just kicking the tires and just kind of getting to understand what this is all about, what if you just took a chance for a moment? What do you have to lose? Yeah, you're sitting here because you didn't come today because we had breakfast. You came here because there's something drawing you. You came here because your life is dysfunctional. You came here because you're struggling with something within your life. And most of you came here because you need some help. I'm here. <laughs> you're here because you get paid to be here. No, I'm here. Well, that's one thing. Absolutely, yeah. That's, but the other thing is that, you know, I need help. What if you just took the chance to turn over and say, God, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here's my sin. Can I read them to you? Here's my prejudice. God, I'm struggling with this right now. And here's my anger. Here's my greed. Lord, here's my shame. Because, God, you know what that's about. Here's my jealousy. Here's my anger. Lord, here's my unforgiveness. Here's my pride. And many more that we probably couldn't have room to write in there. Here it is. And then God says to you, clean all that up and then come back to me. No, that's never what God says, right? Never, ever. Because that's religion. God said, oh, that's what I want. That's what I desire. It's not your perfection. Because I've already covered you in my perfection. All I want is your openness and honesty. Here's the way this ends. We just read this text, you know, and it sounds like, you know, everything's going to be on this big screen in front of us. But look, here's what God says. Here's what he says in verse 4 of chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, having nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you uh, whom to fear, he said. And this is a healthy fear of God. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Look what he says. This, this frames this whole few verses totally different for you and I. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I love that. For some of you, that's a real easy job with God, right? Yes, for some of you, it's more difficult. But yes, it is. But he says this, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. He knows me. 
and he loves me. So what's my next step? What's my next step this morning in all of this? It's this. Don't just open up your mind to God. Open up your heart. Turn the cup over. It's never been about your goodness anyway, right? It's always been about his goodness. And say, Lord, here are all of these things in my life. Here are all the things that I have been hiding from you. And God, I'm not God, but you know, I can imagination. He's thinking, I've done all that all along. I've just been waiting for you to trust me. Because it comes down to trust. Trust him with the things of your life this morning. In relationship with him. So would you bow your heads for a moment, please? Father, we are thankful for your goodness in our life. Lord, you know us, yet you love us. With all of the issues of our lives, and Lord, you know we have issues, that you love us. That we are covered in your perfection, not our own. Because Lord, you know know we've tried that road, and that road gets us nowhere. Our own perfection leaves us cold and lost and unfulfilled but truly being covered by you brings a peace in our life and a rest knowing that I don't have to get every turn right in life that I know that you're walking with me and so today even though the cup may look perfectly clean on the outside, God, you know on the inside that there are struggles in my life. And so today, I surrender those things to you. I surrender them to you, God. I trust you this morning. Thank you, Father.